Hi, it's Larry from Hawthorne Bank. You know, our goal is to put as many friendly faces in more familiar places all over town as we can. At Hawthorne Bank, we'll continue to do what we can for our community, our schools, and our nonprofit organizations. Hawthorne Bank cares. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.
Good morning. I'm Gustin Bateman. I'm your deacon of the week. So if you guys need anything this week, please give me a call. I'd be happy to help out. Help out. It'd be a blessing for me to be able to help you. Um, we're also looking still for ADA van drivers. So we kind of need the help. You're going to be asked again. If you have any questions about it, give me a call. You're who we're looking ADA. for. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we uh, one weekend experiencing God. And it's been pretty good as far as, you know, for me, just right? open up many things. Um, yes, sir. The one thing that I got from it that I thought was the most important <laughs> yeah. was something I kind of already knew that God is working everywhere. But just to look where God is working specifically. And whenever you see that somewhere, it's going to make more of an impact, or at least it did for me, to where it's kind of not as easy to turn a blind eye or think, you know, oh, I got too many other things going on and just walk past it. If you look where God is truly working, it becomes a lot more easy to say, hey, I want to be a part of that. And if you do that um, and let God work through you, you'll be blessed. And so I, I challenge you to uh, try to do that as you go out this week. Look where he's working around you. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this study first off, um, the fact that you try to put another way to speak to us and talk to us, um, and that you gave us the Bible to um, base that off of and judge it against. And I just, first and foremost, thank you for wanting to have a personal relationship with us. And the fact that you made a plan and sent your son for our salvation, but also sent him to show us the way and Show us how to walk and how to have a relationship with you. And in those times that, um, you know, we feel like we don't have enough energy or strength, or we don't know what the right thing to do or say is, that you've already provided for us and you've sent the Holy Spirit to help us out. I thank you for these three things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's please remain standing for our gospel reading. Would you read aloud with me, please? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. 
you would just remain standing. We're going to sing this next song, and we'll get another scripture reading, then I'll let you guys have a little break for a second, all right?
Let's read aloud together our psalm. This is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquities. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit or bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who upright in heart. Psalm 32. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the interesting things that we have discovered in experiencing God, we read a psalm like what we just read, and we can see uh, in, that, in the course of that psalm little, little bits that uh, experiencing God, the study has reminded us um, we are sinful. We are like a horse or a mule that is, uh, decides to go on its own way. But we have a creator God that is trustworthy. And we can follow him. Uh, but often we don't. So uh, this is a song from the 80s. Any old timers in the room? goes like this. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will sing
Let's all stand together. This song we need to stand for. Our God is so great.
Amen. Those songs so well set up what we're going to look at today in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if last week was an overview of kind of experiencing God, this week is sort of a big picture uh, conversation, if you will, about uh, the will of God. And so we'll unpack that today. Raise your hand if you've seen or read or heard of Alice in Wonderland, right? Yeah, I, if you haven't, let's talk after service. I'd love to help you, right? And so Alice in Wonderland, incredible story. She comes to this crossroads in Wonderland, and she's bewildered because she, she doesn't know which way to go. She's come to a, a crossroads, a, a fork in the road, and she's like, I don't know which way to go. And so she looks up to the heavens, but it's not the Lord she sees there. Uh, it's the Cheshire Cat, and he's just smiling ridiculously, and he looks down at Alice, and, and she says to him, well, which, which way should I go? And the cat says, well, that depends, you know, smiling as the Cheshire Cat does. And Alice says, well, it depends on what? Cheshire Cat goes, it depends on your destination. Where are you going? To which Alice honestly stammered back. She said, I, I, I don't know where I'm going. 
A Cheshire cat said, well, then I guess it doesn't matter which way you go. <laughs> right? If you don't know where you're going, then it, it doesn't matter which way you go. Now, for us as Christians, uh, we do have a destination. Amen? Our destination does matter. Our destination, let's not overthink this. It's just simply to be obedient. God, would you help us to just simply be faithful to whatever it is, Lord, that you put in front of us. Our destination is not fame or fortune, but faithfulness. Now, here's the deal. Um, I'd love to tell you that when we finish experiencing God, that uh, you're always going to know exactly what God wants for everything. Uh, but even we as Christians, even with the end of this whole journey, there are moments when we kind of stand back and feel a little bit like Alice. I'm not sure which way to go. Today's week two of a sermon series aligned with the study Experiencing God. It's all about uh, discovering and doing the will of God. But this idea of knowing God's will can be really confusing, can't it? And at times it can even be frustrating. And here is part of the confusion. We use the phrase God's will to mean different things. But we often don't clarify which way we mean it. So here's three examples, three different uses of the same phrase. You're going to go, oh yeah, those are kind of different. Example one, we don't understand why certain things happen, but if it happened at all, then it must be God's will. Example two, you know, the Bible says that stealing, murder, and sexual immorality, those are against God's will. Example three. You know, I'm not sure what to do. I'm trying to seek God's will in this decision that I'm making. Now, I use the same words, but there's three different sort of nuances to that, three different ways of thinking about that. And so today's sermon is titled simply, The Wills of God. And I realize there's debate among Christian circles on all this. We're not going to solve it today. But I do want us to think through these four different ways that this phrase, wills of God, is biblical and is applicable to our lives. Let me read a little bit from Exodus chapter 1. Uh, next week we're going to meet Moses the burning bush. And so today, again, it's kind of the uh, prequel uh, part 2 of overview. Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. These are the names of all the sons of Israel. There we get the scripture going there for you. It's not working. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, would you speak, Lord, from your word today? Father, help us to think through some things that are important for us to think through. Father, we may not understand all of it, Lord, just because uh, we're finite people. 
trying to understand the greatness and the ways of an infinite God. But Lord, as best we can, we want to put ourselves, uh, submit ourselves to your word today, Father, would you teach us. Lord, beyond uh, what, what a pastor may say, Father, would your spirit speak to our hearts today. This is your pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Exodus begins where the book of Genesis ends. With all 70, right? There's only 70 of them when they leave, right? They're in sort of near the promised land. They come in to Egypt, and Joseph is there. When Joseph's family arrived uh, in Egypt, Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh. He's like the vice king. He's the vice president, you know? And, and how God got him there is, is the latter half of Genesis. Incredible Incredible story. Joseph's brothers were jealous of him when he was younger, and they'd sinned against him and sold him into slavery. I mean, that's, that's bad, right? But God had a bigger plan. And so Joseph gets to the end of his life, and he looks back, and he says to his brothers, Listen, what y'all meant for evil, God meant for good, that I would be in this place that I have been. Now, for a few generations after all of God's people get to Egypt, things are great. Like, everything's okay, you know. They're in this land of plenty. But on his deathbed, here is what Joseph says to his brothers on the screen. Genesis 50, 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, as time marched on, God was faithful to the multiplication of his people. Exodus 1-7 tells us that they were uh, exceedingly fruitful. They weren't just fruitful, they were exceedingly fruitful. I mean, they are multiplying like crazy, so much so that the land is becoming filled with them. And then we get to the ominous words of verse 8. This new king comes to power, and he doesn't care who Joseph is. He's not heard anything about uh, this, this Hebrew vice king. He doesn't know anything about how Joseph was used. He looks around and he sees a, a minority group that is becoming the majority group. And so with a little paranoia and prejudice combined, he comes up with this very simple plan. Let's just enslave all of the Israelites and we'll keep them under our control. And so if you look on the screen, verse, verses 9 to 10 are in your Bible there. He says, look, the Pharaoh said. He said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. And so many of this, you know, we see this great architecture of Egypt a lot of that was built on the backs of God's people while they were in slavery. Now, the idea that we're going to enslave them and they will have less children did not pan out. In fact, the harder they worked, the Israelites, the higher their birth rate went, right? God was blessing them in spite of it. So the Pharaoh goes to phase two of his plan. He tries to enlist the help of the Hebrew midwives. They help the Hebrew mamas with the birth of the babies. And he goes to the Hebrew midwives and he says, here's what I need you all to do. Uh, if a baby is born that is a girl, it's all good. Let it live. But if a baby boy is born, I want you to kill the baby. Well, these Hebrew midwives are like, how about no? Right? They, they fear God far more than they fear Pharaoh. And so they don't do that at 
all. And, and so this all builds, Pharaoh's anger builds to this really dark ending of Exodus chapter 1. Look at verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the river Nile, but let every girl live. Next week, we're going to meet Moses at the burning bush. This is the dark point in the story. But I want to talk today these four different aspects of God's will, four different ways the phrase, the will of God, is used. And so number one, uh, theologians call it God's decreed will. His decreed will. His decreed will is also called his determined will. Why? Because this is God's determined that these certain things will happen. It's called his sovereign will, right? Because God is sovereign. You see the word reign, like a king reigns over a territory within the word sovereign. God reigns. Psalm 115.3 on the screen says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Just in case you've gotten confused about this, uh, God is God and we are not Right? He, he is God, and so he has these decrees, God's decreed will. What is it? It's inevitable. It's fixed. It's unchangeable. God's decreed will cannot be derailed, defrayed, or delayed. What God has ordained to happen will absolutely happen, which is what makes the end of Exodus 1 so confusing. Has God fallen asleep on the job here? Like, what's, what's happening here? What what is God doing? And yet as hard as this is, kind of in this moment to wrap our minds around, everything happening in Exodus 1 with the slavery of God's people, it's old news. God foretold it to Abraham 430 years before Exodus 1. Here's Genesis 15, 13 on the screen. The Lord said to him, Know for certain, Abraham, that for 400 years in the future, your descendants will be, in, will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. That God's people would take that journey. God decreed that. It was going to happen. He told Abraham, and God doesn't get a lot of things wrong, right? He gets everything right. He knows all things. We read in the New Testament of God's decreed will in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 on the screen. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, uh, I am not intelligent enough to solve predestination for you today. Uh, and, and I people debate what all this means. But at a minimum, it means nothing takes God by surprise and that he reigns. When you talk about these wills of God, you kind of go, well, now wait a minute. How does God allow certain things? But, but will, how, how does all that work? And, and I don't know. But here's what we do know. We see this tension throughout Scripture between God's, God's control, his, his rule, and then human responsibility. And the Bible teaches these two things. Number one, God is sovereign and in control. But he is not the author of evil. Number two, we exist under his sovereignty, but we are fully responsible for the dumb things we do, right? We are responsible for our sin. And this is throughout Scripture, but consider this is what Peter, this is how Peter explains the death of Jesus in Acts chapter 2 on the screen. Peter told his listeners in Acts 2.23, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you. Why? How did this happen to Jesus? By God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. But y'all are still in trouble. 
right? Because you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to death on the cross. And again, there's a lot about this beyond my ability to understand. But consider this. The greatest injustice ever, the murder of Jesus, that huge tragedy was all a part of God's decreed plan of how he was going to make a way for sinners like us to be made right with him. Amen? Now, this decreed will of God, some theologians call it God's secret will, right? Because God doesn't consult us, and we can't figure it all out. Isaiah 55 says that uh, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As Joseph is going through his life, when he's in the pit, or when he's uh, been lied about by Pharaoh's wife, I mean, all these, by, by Potiphar's wife, all these things that happened to Joseph, there must have been times when he was like, is the Lord still working, right? I mean, it was confusing and yet God had a plan Joseph just couldn't see it it's a scary thought to realize that we worship a God who's in control until we remember who he is that he is good he is good he is just he is fair even when things seem out of control we can trust the Lord and then lastly, this decreed will thing, keep in mind, God's decreed will is our assurance of the promise of Romans 8, 28. And so what does God promise? Listen, y'all are going to mess it up. He says, but listen, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We've been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Part of God's decreed will is that he who began a good work in you, if you know him, he's going to finish it. When it's all said and done, you will be conformed to the image of Christ. God's decreed will. Number two, theologians call it God's desired will. It says God's desired will, or uh, it's also called his revealed will, his written will. Why? Because God makes his commands clear in his word. Right? It's also called his preceptive will, right? God's precepts, his commands. All those are used to talk about this idea that God has explained his desires for every person. He doesn't like place charades with us in the heavens and hope we can figure out what he wants from us. He just tells us, right? He reveals his will to us. Adrian Rogers, I love this quote. Adrian Rogers said, people want to know God's will. Much of God's will for your life is already found in the Bible, right? And so the Ten Commandments, that's God's will for your life. The Sermon on the Mount, it's the same. What are you as a Christian supposed to do? God's will is revealed, make disciples, right? Tell people about Jesus, grow them, multiply followers of Jesus. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? Like, what, what's the most important commandment? And here's how Jesus summarized God's will for our lives as believers. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament, this is what it's all about. It hangs on these two commandments. Now, I know with experiencing God, we talk about discovering God's will. But here's what we've got to get through our minds today. When you talk about God's desires, his will does not need to be found. It needs to be read and followed. 
Just do what he has said to do. Galatians 5 says that it's God's will that we don't do sexual immorality and jealousy and selfish ambition. On the flip side, it is God's will that we are people of love and joy and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Jesus' disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And part of how Jesus tells us to pray is to pray for God's will to be done. It's his assumption that the people that are praying for his will to be done are doing his revealed will. Right? God, we're going to live in this. The book of Hebrews says that part of what God is doing in us is he's working in us to live lives that are pleasing to him. God's desired will. Now, we find God's decrees and his desired will side by side in Deuteronomy 29.29. So look at the screen. Okay, you have both here side by side. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Right, that's the secret. It's what God's doing. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children. Why? That we may follow all the words of this law. His decreed will, his desired will. And then theologians also talk about his uh, permissive will. Now, this is the one that's the hardest for me to wrap my mind around, right? And again, I like, the, I like I'm kind of OCD. I like my ducks in a row. And this one's a little harder to wrap your mind around. Within God's sovereignty, right? God's in control. But he has chosen to allow us the freedom to live other than what he desires. And so God's permissive will is, it's what he allows. And some theologians say permissive will. It's not like God gives you permission. He's like, hey, just go sin. It's okay. It's not permission in that way, but it's recognizing going back to what it is to be a human. Part of being made in God's image is that he really gave you the ability to make real decisions. Right, that we have this will that is, in a sense, free in that we can choose to do other than what he would want us to do. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Right, Adam and Eve, perfect people in a perfect garden in a perfect place. And, and yet God placed this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve took from the forbidden fruit, God wasn't like, whoa, I never saw that coming. Right? I mean, he, he knows how this is going to go. And, and again, this gets off into the deep end of things. But in a sense, the fall of man is one of the first things that God allows that would fit this category of, of he, yes, this is going to happen, but it's not ultimately what he would prefer. Uh, forever, I've, I've used the illustration. Imagine if my wife Becca and I are on our wedding day and we're standing there and we're looking lovingly into each other's eyes and we're saying vows back and forth and you're kind of feeling warm and fuzzy and then you realize I have a gun pointed at her. Like the romance kind of runs right out of the illustration, doesn't it? Right? Forced love, like coerced love isn't love. And so there is this reality that God's chosen. Again, if you don't like the way he did it, you can take it up with him. God has chosen to create us with a measure of under-sovereignty in the sense that we get to make decisions. And he's, God is the originator of religious liberty in the sense that it was God who first said, man, I'm, I didn't create robots. I created people that I want to surrender to me to choose to follow me. 
Now, when, when we disobey God, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, don't break God's rules. Listen, here's the deal. When we break God's rules, it's not his commands that get broken. It's us. We, we break ourselves upon his good, holy commands by our disobedience. And so God does not force us. He, he gives us a measure of, of deciding. Now, we don't get to choose whether there are consequences to our decisions, right? Ask Adam and Eve. Ask Moses late in the story when he smacks the rock and doesn't get to enter the promised land, right? So our choices, uh, God's created a world of consequences as well. We see God's decreed and permissive will, right? We see those side by side just to kind of wrap your mind around it in Genesis 50, right? This is what Joseph says to his brothers. And we see God's, God's had a plan, but he also got allowed the brothers to do things that would be outside in a sense how God would prefer that people act because they sold their brother into slavery. Verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, brothers. I, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So the brothers, God allowed them. He permitted them to use their free will to sin against Joseph, but God was at work behind the scenes redeeming that, bringing about his plan for Joseph's life. Now, God's desired will and his permissive will side by side. We see those in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. On the screen, uh, God is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise for Jesus to return, right? That's, and in fact, I guess that could be his decreed will, right? Jesus is coming. And he said, as slum, some understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now listen, think through that. It, doesn't God get everything that God wants? Well, it depends on what you mean by want, right? It depends on in what sense we're talking about God's will. It is God's desire that all people go to heaven. And, and through Jesus Christ, God has made a way for whosoever will may come. But again, his permissive will means that some will refuse his offer of salvation. In fact, Jesus says many will re refuse his offer of salvation. Now, none of this takes God by surprise. God's outside of time. He knows how all this plays out. But it does make God sad. I think it breaks God's heart uh, when we simply miss out on his love through a relationship with Christ. God's decreed will, his desired will, his permissive will. And then lastly, God's directional will. And this is a lot where we talk about, okay, what's God, what are God's plans for me? You know, how is this going to work out? And that's why we're doing Experiencing God. We want to understand God's will, and then we want to discover God's plans by aligning our lives with his will. Now, here's a quote from the study. Uh, what is God's will for my life? Experiencing God, the study says. What is God's will for my life is not the right question. He says, I think the proper question is, what is God's will? And once I know God's will, then I adjust my life to him. Okay, now, again, sometimes I get so lost in some of this because I just, I want to please the Lord. How does all this work? And so here is a principle that I, a mentor shared me many years ago, and, and I, I, it was so freeing to me. You ready? If you get lost in all of it, okay, Lord, what should I do? Here is a thing to do. When you're like Alice and you're at a crossroads, like, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Okay? These two simple statements on the screen. 
Discovering God's plan for your life flows from obeying his word. You can't go with God and go against God at the same time. If you want to know his plans, align your life with his word. If God has a will for you to go to X college and not Y college, I really think he'll tell you. But you've got to align your word with him. And sometimes I think God lets us choose, right? And so don't let that rock your world. I think sometimes God lets us wrestle with how are we going to choose to do certain things. Again, he knows, but in real time, he's letting us come to depend on him and know him. The foundation for knowing God's will is simple obedience to his word. God's plans for you, like what are God's plans for for me? I want to live, I want to please God. You will find them as you obey his revealed will for everyone, right? That's how we get there. And so sometimes we're like, I need to know what God wants me to do 10 years from now. And I think God's like, listen, open the book and worry about 10 seconds from now. If you'll live 10 minutes from now, 10 moments from now, 10 years from now is going to work itself out just fine. If you want his plans, then live his will. Following his desired will leads to finding his directional will. Guidance for our lives arrives as we follow Christ. But following means obeying him. It means aligning with him. And uh, many of you listened to my sermon from a year or so ago from Romans 12. And so you can go check that out uh, later. But uh, here's the, the sentence again. And so we see this idea of discovering God's will. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, Paul writes, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Some translations say this is your reasonable worship. It just simply makes sense. If God has changed you, then surrender to him. Verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's plans for your life flow from first being obedient to his word. And if you'll be obedient to this, following his desired will leads to finding his directional will. Amen? Now, again, this is what we're unpacking the next 10 weeks or so as we journey through the rest of these aspects of experiencing God. But as you look at the, those four aspects of experiencing God's will, again, at lunch you can debate what I just got wrong, right? And so there's, there's debate on these things, but I want us just to think through today, recognize as we're pursuing God's will, just kind of tune in your brain to ask yourself in your home groups and discussions. When someone says God's will, ask yourself, Okay, now which aspect are they talking about, right? It really will help us uh, communicate to each other and hear from the Lord as we journey together. Is it God's decreed will, desire will, permissive will, directioner will, or perhaps, perhaps as we've seen in several scriptures, it's a combination of both. Now, again, as, as we in just a moment are going to enter into a time of response, in fact, I'd ask our worship team to come. Uh, just th th these two questions, right? If you know Christ today, the only question always is what's your next step, right? What's your next, again, not, not 10 years from now, what is God wanting you to do right now? And, and how is his word um, pushing on you today? What's your next step? God's at work reconciling the world to himself. 
God is at work around us. He, by love, invites you to himself and then immediately brings you into his mission of love. Amen? To those he reconciles, he sends out to be reconcilers. If God speaks... You're going to be in a moment of crisis. You're going to have to choose, what does God want me to do? And if you follow him, it may cost you. It may cost you a lot. Listen, it'll be so more than worth it to experience God in the way that it is to know him obediently. Now listen, it may be today that you're hearing all this and you're being like, man, this is great. But where does Jesus fit into all this? Okay, everybody look right here. Discovering God's will starts with knowing Jesus. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, there's a part of you that's dead inside and not yet alive to interact with God in the way that he originally created people to interact with him. The Bible says that we're dead in sin. Jesus talks about being born from above, being born again, born by the Spirit. You may be dead today in sin, even though you're alive physically. Man, God would love today for you to leave here alive in both ways. Amen? Jesus says everyone in heaven has two kinds of birthdays. You've got a physical one and you've got a spiritual one. That's what it is to know God. And so the Bible says we're all sinners, right? We've fallen short. Our sin separates us from God. Uh, our sin carries a price tag called death that is both present and eternal. If we die in our sins, we'll be forever separated from God in a place called hell. That's the bad news. The good news is that God took the initiative, amen, that God has done everything on his end. He's made the doorway open for us to recognize, man, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And again, if you've never thought through that today, I'm going to be down front. Joey's going to be down here with me with love a chance to be able to, to talk to you today. It may be that uh, you just come down front and we hang out after service. But the question is, what is God doing in this moment? If you're a believer, what's your next step? If you're not sure you're a believer, is God today drawing you to himself in a saving way? Amen. We pray for us this morning. Father, God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have a plan, Father. Lord, for, for any person today uh, hearing this message who doesn't yet know you, God, this moment is your grace to them to give them one more opportunity to be right with you forever, Father. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, no guarantee of tomorrow. Lord, this moment, Father, do we know you?